Welcome to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. We speak with writers, thinkers, and newsmakers on the controversial issues of human life and human thriving that impact our daily lives. We are exceptional as creatures in the cosmos, as equal members of the human family, and as ethical beings. Humanize explores some of the fundamental questions. How do we thrive? How do we live well and care for what we've inherited? How do we act responsibly with one another and in the wider world? And how do we conserve the good things of this life for the future? We matter. Our actions matter. Let's get into it. I'm Wesley J. Smith, and this is Humanize. on Humanize today is Dr. Alveda C. King, the daughter of the late civil rights activist Reverend A.D. King and his wife Naomi Barber King. Alveda grew up in the civil rights movement led by her uncle, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Her family home in Birmingham, Alabama was bombed, as was her father's church in Louisville, Kentucky during those struggles. Alveda was jailed during the open housing movement. Dr. King is the founder of Speak for Life, fighting for the sanctity and dignity of all life from the womb to the tomb. She currently serves as a Fox News contributor and host of the Fox Nation show, Alveda King's House. Dr. King is a former college professor, and she served in the Georgia State House of Representatives. She is a recipient of the Life Prize Award, the Cardinal John O'Connor Pro-Life Hall of Fame Award, and the Civil Rights Award from the Congress of Racial Equality. She is a best-selling author. Among her books are King Truths, 21 Keys to Unlocking Your Spiritual Potential, and King Rules, 10 Truths for You, Your Family, and Our Nation to Prosper. King is an accomplished actress and songwriter, her latest album being Tender Moments Alone with God. The founder of the Alveda King Ministries, she has served on several boards, including Heartbeat International, Georgia Right to Life, The King Center, Bible Curriculum in Public Schools, and Abortion Recovery International. She is also a member of the National Black Pro-Life Coalition and is a senior fellow with the Howard Center for Family, Religion, and Society. Alveda, welcome to Humanize. Thank you. I love Humanize. Human dignity for the one blood, one race that's on this planet, the human race, the only race that we know about. So thank you. Thank you. And that's human exceptionalism. You know, you're a member of one of America's great families. Your uncle was Dr. Martin Luther King. Your grandfather was a notable preacher. You participated in the civil rights movement and, and are uh, very involved in the pro-life movement. Your father was also a notable civil rights activist. Tell us just about a bit about your dad, the Reverend A.D. King. My father the Reverend A.D. King, and he was known as A.D. and his famous brother, Martin Luther King Jr., M.L. in our family. So that's my daddy and uncle, M.L. Daddy was the youngest of three. Christine King Ferris, their sister, is still living. Of course, we know that uncle M.L. was assassinated in 1968. And then my dad, Reverend A.D. King, was found in our swimming pool with bruises all over his body and no water in his lungs. And yet that was recorded as accidental drowning. Now, Daddy and Uncle Emil 
Anna Christine grew up in a time when America was dealing with segregation and Jim Crow and those types of laws, but they were raised by a family, parents, Daddy King and Mama King, Martin Luther King Sr. in Alberta, who taught them to love God, to love each other as members of the human race, and to forgive and walk upright. So I was brought up in that legacy, and it is known as the King family legacy. And and it is a it's a wonderful legacy, and that I think has uh, moved the world. Honestly, uh, your family has uh, had a tremendous impact on this country and on the world. You've just been uh, appointed as chairman of the Center for the American Dream. Tell us a bit about that project. That's with the America First Policy Institute, working with some remarkable people who want to come together and just work for the betterment of America. It's headed up by Brooke Rollins, Linda McMahon, and others. And of course, the centers, there are several. There are over 20 centers now. And I'm over the Center for the American Dream. And we are focusing on what is the American Dream. And as we do that, we recognize that we are one blood and one human race. We're not colorblind. We see ethnicity. We celebrate ethnicity but we come together as human beings and working with all of the chairman of all of the different centers, we are working on a better America. We'll be celebrating, for example, Black History Month this year together. And each of us will be presenting people that we'd like for America to know. They won't all be well-known African-Americans, but we'll take a look at the contributions of African-Americans to this great country. I think that that's a very important project because we have to always remember that we've all contributed to this country, and some of us in ways that were very difficult. Uh, but um, as your uncle said, we shall overcome. Well, as we work to overcome together, he also said we must learn to live together as brothers. I had his sisters. Yes or perish together as fools. He didn't say neighbors or cousins. He said brothers. And what does brotherhood really look like? Embracing human dignity. From the womb to the tomb, you knew I would add that with my <laughs> pro-life message. I'd have to add that, of course. And as we do that, my Christmas message for the year of 2021 ends by reminding us to forgive and seek forgiveness to love each other, to have faith, hope, and love. And though we may have lost a lot in 2021 and certainly in 2020, as we move forward, my granddaddy, Daddy King Sr., would tell us to thank God for what we have left. You just used a word that I hear too little in the public discourse, forgive. How does that uh, help promote a, a healthy society? I was brought up to repent and forgive and to first repent of my own wrongdoings, to take a look at myself and ask God to forgive me and to guide me into better living. And then after I repent, when others do something to me, to forgive them quickly. And, you know, that's in the model prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others or forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. And so learning to forgive others 
is very, very important. As a matter of fact, it, it's a method to being healed in your spirit, soul, and body. Because if we are holding rage and anger and fighting others, you'll notice we'll begin, our bodies will finally feel bad. Our souls will feel bad and our spirit will weaken. And I was taught that. And my uncle, Martin Luther King Jr. did say, Uncle Emil said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. And my mother would say the same thing on my daddy, my granddaddy, my grandmother. So just growing up to love others and to forgive, it wasn't always easy. I wanted to blame white people for killing my uncle, for example, in 1968. And I wanted to hate white people. And my daddy pulled me aside, Reverend A.D. King, baby, and he had lost his brother. You can't hate white people. White people live with us march with us, go to jail with us, pray with us, and die with us. White people didn't kill my brother, your uncle. The devil did. And my daddy wrapped his arms around me as, as I was grieving and angry. And my mother, who is still living, she's 90 years old now, and she talks about forgiveness. And so that's the message that I learned throughout my life. And first to seek forgiveness and then to forgive others, to repent and seek forgiveness. And that leads to, I think, a, another undervalued virtue, which is humility. Yes, and humility is very difficult for me. Sometimes I want to remind people, do you know who I am? <laughs> and I have to sit down and repent and say, God, do I know who you are. And can I tell other people about your love? You know, Humility is very difficult, especially when we feel rejection. Yeah. And when yeah. we want to defend ourselves. And we want to take these burdens on ourselves and to avenge ourselves. But we know that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And as we humble ourselves before the Lord, then we are able to get those virtues, of course, kindness and patience. So many virtues will come if we allow God, and especially for this season. And I was speaking to some of my Jewish friends earlier today. I said, does it offend you when I say Merry Christmas? They said, no. Merry Christmas to you, too. I said, well, <laughs> happy Hanukkah to you, you know, and that's it. Kwanzaa and all of that during this season. But um, there's a beautiful and bold love that comes from God. And to me, greatly expressed in the gift of Jesus Christ. And so John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son as Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but through Christ, the world can be saved. So as a Christian evangelist, I on that scripture heavily, but I'm very conscious of uh, human dignity. So I never condemn anybody for what they believe, but I'm already and always ready to say what I believe. We have a limited time, so I want to do want to get into that issue of civil rights. We saw tremendous racial unrest after the murder of George Floyd, and your cha your family, uh, all of them, have been champions of nonviolence. Do you worry that that important legacy is being threatened by contemporary activities? With Floyd, my goddaughter Angela Stanton King went and prayed in the midst of that time, and I was on the phone with her, and I spoke to those who were gathered there with a message of love and forgiveness. So what we discovered, when you go into these hot situations where the tempers are boiling and racial unrest comes, and you remind people 
We've got to love each other. We've got to come together in unity. Violence will not resolve this issue. And so I, either I or someone representing me will go to these locations where this violence is erupting and we'll begin to pray and to comfort the people who have had a loss. So in the midst of violence, the answer is never going to be violence because violence begets violence. But we have to go in with a message of hope and love and unity. You've been uh, very critical of uh, critical race theory, and this is a quote from you that makes a lot of sense to me. Quote, both unity and victory have been undermined by critical race theory. This new approach to race actively divides our kids every day by leading them to believe that the color of their skin holds more importance than the content of their character. Close quote. What was the victory to which you were referring in that quote? Well, the victory that overcomes the world is our faith, and our faith is in God. So what we have to do first, and I have said to many of my friends who says, well, we're not going to go with critical race theory. I say, I agree with you. I'm not either. But until people know what critical race theory is, they won't understand why you don't agree with teaching a critical race theory. So it's very important. Very important to me to take the critical race theory that was created and engineered socially. And what they wanted to say is that there are separate races. There are not separate races. There's only one blood and one human race. There are different ethnic groups. Hey, let's let's call their bluff. Let's teach our kids what critical race theory is and why it divides. And when I begin to say that, people said, okay, that's a good point because we hadn't really looked at what critical race theory is. We just know it makes our little children hate each other because one little girl went home and said to her mother, she's a Caucasian girl, am I evil because I'm white? And the mother says, what? Yeah. And she said, that's what the teacher is saying. So when we found out that that was happening, we had a responsibility to teach our children why a critical race theory is wrong and why it is divisive. This, this is a, a very serious moment. Uh, one of the uh, primary um, intellectual leaders of what's called the anti-racist movement is Ibram X. Kendi. And this is a quote that he uh, wrote. And uh, I'd like your comment. Quote, the only remedy to racial discrimination is anti-racist discrimination, close quote. Doesn't that send us in the wrong direction? When we say anti-racist, we must really teach by the Bible what anti-racist looks like. So anti-racist can be found in the Old and New Testament when we are really commanded to love each other and receive each other. And when we do that, we will not see separate human races because there's no such thing. We will see one blood, Acts 17, 26, of one blood. God created all people that live together on the face of the earth. The human race is one blood and one race. So as long as we continue to have conversations around skin color, we're going to have a problem. As a matter of fact, God never divided the human race according to skin color. At the Tower of Babel, God did divide us according to language, broke us into several languages. Skin colors followed those languages to a certain degree. But now we live in the 21st century where we are connected by something called the Internet. And we could see our commonalities much more quickly 
than we've ever seen them before. And we right. can see that really about 98% of what each one of us is, is more closely connected than disconnected. And skin yeah, and color always, is the least factor. It's the lowest part of what we are. It's so superficial. I've always said that racism is evil because it treats inherent equals as if they were unequal. We're all equal. Uh, I know we're almost out of time, and I would be remiss, though, not to get a little bit into your pro-life work. Uh, I saw a tweet recently from Planned Parenthood that claimed that fighting against abortion is racist. And here's what they wrote on Twitter. Know this, the impact of abortion restrictions falls hardest on those who already face discriminatory obstacles to health care. We can't let this continue to happen. If we're going to build an equitable society, we have to stop abortion bans, close quote. But it strikes me that Planned Parenthood has an awful lot of clinics in African-American communities, and pro-lifers are actually seeking to make sure that more black children are born, not fewer. But what we have discovered now here in 2021, there used to be more abortion mills than pregnancy care centers. But the pregnancy care centers now outnumber the abortion mills. And now we know what happened in Texas with the heartbeat bill. We know with the Dobbs case what's happening in Mississippi. And if you don't know, please do your homework and study. So people are really waking up, recognizing that the people in the womb are actually people. Those are really human beings. And Sanger and her message, Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood and other organizations who uh, want to deal with genocide, all the populations that they want to control, but especially the African-American population in here in America, want to convince people that abortion is good and pro-life is bad. So they are really skillful in calling good evil and evil good. So abortion actually kills babies. We know that. But women die from legal abortions into many, many women have died by legal abortion here in America since uh, abortion became legal in 73. Now the diagnosis won't necessarily show abortion, but it has. So abortion is a bad product. It's a very bad byproduct. Kills babies, hurts women, sometimes kills women, hurts societies. It is discriminatory in that more African-American babies have been to 73, if you look at the real numbers, than any other community. Now, by just numbers, there are more Caucasians. So it'll look like the numbers are higher in the Caucasian community, but for a community in the African-American community, that's only 13%. And one-third of the abortions legally uh, committed in America since 73 happened in the African-American communities. Abortion is racist. I saw a startling statistic once, maybe you, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that there are actually in New York City more African-American babies aborted than born. That's true. In New York and other cities are very close, including Atlanta and uh, other cities and states around the country. So thank you for being with me, Alveda. What's next for Alveda King? If you will visit me at three websites alvedaking.com speakforlife.org the speakforlife.org and right now in the next few weeks alvedachristmas.com you'll see many of the projects that I'm working with and I can also be found at the 
AFPI, America First Policy Institute. Alvita, thank you very much for your service to your country and for being on Humanize. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Humanize from Discovery Institute's Center on Human Exceptionalism, where human rights meet human responsibilities. Discover all the good work of the Center on Human Exceptionalism by visiting discovery.org human. We can only do this work speaking on behalf of human life, human thriving, and our exceptional place in this world and our cosmos with your support. We invite you to make a one-time gift today and to consider starting a monthly gift to support the Center on Human Exceptionalism and this show. Wherever you're listening to Humanize, please take a moment to rate and review the show. You matter. Your actions matter. Be bold, be exceptional, and be back soon.